Well, good morning, church. Shang Chen, thank you so much. That was beautiful. And I also wanted to thank Cam. One of the things that we loved so much about um, raising our family here in Beijing was actually the youth group at this church. And with Tanya and some of the others who built into our kids, um, it was a tremendous blessing. So uh, I know Cam is uh, carrying on that great tradition with a lot of other help from uh, a lot of the parents here and other leaders. So I want to thank you for that. And John, thanks for the, the kind words. Hope that the Lord will uh, work through me today as I uh, bring the word to you in this, our last Sunday of the year 2018. So really the, the primary goal of today is kind of to move us from 2018 into 2019 and specifically look at resolutions and what resolutions can mean to us and literally how resolutions uh, with obedience can change the trajectory of our entire lives. In fact, not only the trajectory of our lives, uh, but in the case we're going to look at today, changed history in a beautiful way. So, um, if you look at the PowerPoint, uh, I just went and, and Googled and looked at last year, and when people made their New Year's resolutions, 38% of the resolutions had something to do with exercising more. Um, and so I have my phone here that tracks my steps, so I try to get my 10,000 steps a day and do that. 33% uh, to lose weight, uh, eat healthily or be more active. As we continue on, we'll see that others wanted to learn a new skill or hobby, 15%. Uh, spend more time on personal well-being, 12%. Uh, spend more time with family and friends, that's a great one. I hadn't really thought of that one too much before, but I thought that was a good uh, suggestion. Drinking less alcohol and stop smoking 12 and 9 kind of finished this list. So this is kind of a list of what people were looking at last year, and some, this might spur some ideas as you think through what you might want to be doing this next year for your resolution. But what I want to do right now is to go back uh, in history, and I want you to imagine and I want you to imagine with me a young boy, probably 14 or 15 years old, about 2,600 years ago. And he wakes up one morning, and he's very expectant because he knows his city is under siege. He knows his city is under siege because the kings that have gone before him have been wicked and evil and knows that God has said because of their evil the city will suffer the kingdom will suffer but this young 14 or 15 year old boy also knows that God many times through miracles has saved his city and he's expectant God what are you going to do this time? How are you going to save us this time? So he continues to go to the temple. He continues to pray. He continues to ask for the day that he can go back to school. 
because the schools have stopped since they've been under siege. But instead, this morning, after he has his breakfast, he hears a very loud knock on the door. Ooh. He goes to the door, and in front of him, he sees what he never thought he would see. He sees two huge soldiers, big beards. He opens the door, they grab his arm, and they take him out of his home. They take him to the city center by the temple, and there he sees a sight he thought he would never see. He sees all these foreign soldiers in his hometown, in his city, with 10,000 others of his people. And even worse, he sees articles from the temple being taken out of the holy temple. Articles that they use to worship God. And they're all there in the city center. And this young boy looks up, and from a distance he sees his parents. Didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. And then all of a sudden, they march off. They march off with these 10,000 people from the city of Jerusalem, headed, he doesn't know where, with all the articles of the temple of God that he thought would never leave his beloved Jerusalem. And this young 14 or 15-year-old boy begins a four-month journey. Four months, day walking day after day with his back to his beloved city, with his back to the God he worshiped, with his back to his parents, every step taking him farther away, farther away, farther away. Four months, 1,450 kilometers or 900 miles away from his home. Can you imagine with me what would be going through the mind of this young boy? Will I ever see my parents again? Will I ever be able to go to the temple and worship my God again? What's going to happen to me when I get to this place they're taking me? Am I going to be a slave? Are they going to abuse me? What's going to happen to me? And then he sits there and starts thinking, and God, where are you? In our time of greatest need, where are you? This is not my fault. My parents never did anything. I never did anything. What is going on here? I don't know about you, but if I had been in that young boy's shoes, I would have cursed God in my heart. And I would say, God, this is not right. This is so unfair. What have I ever, ever, ever done that would allow you to do this to me? Well, after these four months, this young boy finally ends up in the foreign kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. And yes, knowing that this is God's judgment on his nation for their rebellion against God. But he's also thinking, why? Why me? 
So with that, we're going to open up the book of Daniel and start in chapter 1. In verse 3, and this is what it says. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, would you be so kind to us today through your word, through your word, to teach us from the life of this incredible young man and the decision he made to follow you with an uncommon and un uncommon obedience and literally change the world as a result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as we read this about Daniel, we see that he made this resolution. And what is a resolution? Here, the, the Hebrew word actually has two meanings. The first is a determination from the will and from the heart and from the mind. And the second, and I think is very, very important, it means the seat of courage. The word resolve in his heart is actually the seat of courage. And what we see happening here is Daniel, this young 14-year-old boy, makes this decision, I'm resolving myself not to defile myself with the king's food and the king's wine, but I'm going to follow the Lord holy. And from the seat of courage, 
I'm going to follow God with an uncommon obedience. So when you think about resolution, you can kind of think through this. is It's a determination of your mind, your heart, your will, but it requires courage. It requires courage. Secondly, we're going to answer the question, why? Why did Daniel make this resolution that he was going to follow um, the Lord? If we could turn the slide. We can see from the story, as we were imagining, kind of picturing ourselves in Daniel's shoes, that he made this resolution to follow the Lord not because of his circumstances. In fact, he had every reason not to follow the Lord. He thought, you have abandoned me, God. Why should I follow you? And especially in uh, what I would consider a small detail. Now, obviously, to a Jewish young man, their eating regimen, their eating regulations were very strict and very severe. But in some ways, it was, it was a small thing. But Daniel, in the face of all kinds of challenges, said, I'm not going to let my circumstances bring me away from following the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord regardless of my circumstances. And in here, we see that Daniel resolved not to defile himself because he wanted to follow God. It didn't say because he wanted, because he desired a blessing from God or a gift from God. So we know that Daniel's obedience was not due to something that he was expecting from God. He followed God because God had said, this is what I want you to do as my son. We also know that Daniel did not do this for the applause or approval of others. I mean, if he just was more of a people pleaser, he'd sit there and say, well, this is a, an eating regulation. This is what I have done growing up from my youth. But, you know, the king, he wants me to eat this food, this royal food, and it's kind of nice. It's probably the best food in the land. Why wouldn't I go ahead and do this? I could just be a people pleaser, and I can do what the authorities in this new land want me to do. In fact, they actually have control over my life, so why wouldn't I eat what they give me? So we know that Daniel, in his heart, resolves to do this, not because of circumstances, not because he wanted to receive gifts and blessings, and not because of the approval for others. But rather, on the next slide, we see he only had one desire, and that was to honor God and to follow him, follow God's direction regardless, for no other reason, for no other reason. I find that astounding. I think at my age, if I could make the decision that Daniel made, I would actually feel very, very comforted that God is working in my life. But this is a 14-year-old boy who has had everything ripped away from him. And yet he still makes this determination to follow God. So we now see that a resolution is a determination in our heart, our mind, our will. It's our, from our seat of courage. And we see that really in this circumstance, there is no other reason to do it other than to follow God and to obey him.
So now we can think through how. How can we make a resolution and follow through on that resolution based on the example we have here in Daniel? I'll call it a roadmap. So on the next slide, we see that number one, Daniel makes this resolution in the sight of God. He does not want to defile himself before God. God is his audience. When you're thinking through resolutions, are you thinking that God is actually watching you in this? But actually, in this situation, God is your audience. We also see that the way that this young boy, Daniel, negotiates with this chief official is very diplomatic. He doesn't sit there and throw a tantrum. He doesn't sit there and say, I won't do this. But he negotiates with the chief official and said, well, okay, I understand this could cost you your head. So why don't we do it this way? Let's just do a test for 10 days. Let's see how it goes. Daniel is very loving towards his captor, towards the man who in many ways is oppressing him. And he negotiates. And I think that shows us something that when we go through our resolutions, let's be considerate of those who are around us. And let's treat them with love and respect. I think the next thing we learn from Daniel's example, he doesn't do it alone. He says, test your servants. Talking about his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He doesn't do this by himself. He invites the community in. And later on in the book of Daniel, we see that this is common in Daniel's practice. Is he will invite others to come alongside him as he follows after the Lord. So Daniel invites the community as he sets out on this resolution to follow God. And lastly, in verse 13, we see that he has hope that God will provide. Let's test and see how your servants look with hope that actually their countenance will be very healthy because they have followed God to the letter and eaten the diet that he had eaten all his life growing up and not defiling himself with food that God did not want him to have. So again, from this very young 14-year-old boy, regardless of our age sitting in this church today, we can see he gives us some great examples that God is our audience, that we are to treat others around us, whether they believe in us or not in what we're being called to do, to treat them with love and respect, to do it with community, not to go alone as we seek to follow God in this way. And lastly, to have hope, to have hope for God's provision. So what were the results of this uncommon obedience? that Daniel models for us. One, we see that what we can see is we have a view of how God can provide. In verse 15, we see that after the 10 days, these four youth looked better than all the others, and God truly had provided for them, given them a healthy countenance, a healthy visage, and the chief official, of course, was very glad as well because this is making him look better too. 
But we also follow with an uncommon obedience, even though we don't expect God for sure to give us gifts and blessings. We see what I consider to be the key verse in the book of Daniel. Because in verse 17, we see that because of what these four men did, God gave them great learning and understanding in literature. And then especially to Daniel, he gave the ability to understand visions and dreams. Now what I want you to do, if you want to go back through and look at the book of Daniel, is you will see that from Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 2 all the way through verse 12, learning, understanding, obedience, dreams, and visions. All the rest of the book of Daniel. So I would argue we would not have the book of Daniel without this decision, this resolution in Daniel's heart to follow God and not defile himself. Simply to stop eating food for 10 days that the king had provided. Because of that one decision, we have the book of Daniel. Because of that one decision, we have an incredible testimony of God's grace and goodness. One little decision. Because of that, we're going to continue on. I'm just going to look at a few things that we see because we just have left the Christmas season. But because Daniel did this, let's look at some of the views of our Savior Jesus Christ that we get from the book of Daniel. In chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He tells the magicians, you tell me what my dream is, and then you interpret it. No one can do that. But Daniel goes and gets his friends. They pray. Daniel comes, tells the king the dream about the statue, the soldier, the statue. And then at the end, the statue is destroyed by the mountain. And in verse 44, we see a kingdom that will never be destroyed. The kingdom refers to the kingdom of God. And in Mark 1.15, Jesus says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. I believe when we see this, we have this view of this incredible mountain coming down and smashing the world powers. This is the view we get because a 14-year-old boy made a resolution not to defile himself with the king's food. Very small decision, but a beautiful picture of our Savior. Then in chapter 3, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, uncommon obedience in the face of death being thrown into the fiery furnace because they do not want to pray to an idol, to an image. And in that, we see that when they are thrown into the furnace, that the king sees a fourth man walking around in the fire with them. And it said the fourth looks like the son of God's. Many people would say this is one of the pre-incarnate views of Jesus Christ. When we can see an image of Christ in the Old Testament scripture coming to help his people. A beautiful picture of our Savior 
with us in the fiery furnace. And there are many others, but I'll just look at one more. In chapter 7, we see the first image or the first mention of this phrase, the Son of Man. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 says, A Son of Man given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Well, Son of Man was actually one of Jesus' favorite terms to talk about himself. And we are probably very familiar with Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Again, a young 14-year-old boy against all odds, with no reason to follow God to the letter, makes a decision, I won't defile myself with the king's food. Friends, come along with me. Let's follow our guard regardless and see what he does. And because of that, we have this incredible book of Daniel. We have all kinds of apocalyptic or future views of the kingdom of God of God's sovereignty. We have a picture of a God in the fiery furnace saving his friends. The mighty mountain. The kingdom that will never end in this view of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. So lastly, as we think about these resolutions, let's go to the next one. I have some ideas that you might want to consider. And we looked at exercising more and losing weight and dieting and well-being and these things. What I'd like to put before you today, in addition to maybe any other resolution you might be considering, I want you to think through what would be a spiritual resolution? Like Daniel, not to defile yourself with the king's food. What, and it could be a very small one. Daniel's was very small, and yet I'd say changed the history of the world. But what could be one? This past month, I've been reading a chapter in Proverbs, and there's so many thoughts of what would it mean to be, uh, to study wisdom or to follow your parents. But could there be something in the book of Proverbs that you'll read one chapter a day, and then at the end of the, the month, you might think through, this is something that I want to resolve this year to follow this way of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Or maybe you've heard about reading the Bible in a year. Actually, five years ago, a friend of mine gave me a, a uh, syllabus, in a sense, to read through the Bible in three months. And I've actually done that the last five years. And it's really an incredible journey to take in the word of God as story. And so you might kind of think through, if you have a three-month period where you're not traveling too much or you might have a little bit of more time, that's something you could consider. Or maybe it's like inviting someone to come to church with you, someone you've been working with, someone you go to school with, and you might think, well, you know, maybe I could invite... Um, this person to come to church to me or maybe a neighbor maybe it is reaching out to your neighbors in a way so just kind of pray about it what could be a resolution 
that God could bring to you. And in closing, and you'll see that I've called this the new you resolution, not the new year resolution, because what we'll see is we resolve ourselves to follow God in this way, we will be changed. We will be changed in a glorious way. So the last thing I want to follow up with is this. And I think it's the most important verse in this first chapter of Daniel. Because after Daniel resolves in his heart in verse 8 not to defile himself, we see the secret. Because in verse 9, immediately after it says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. In God's economy, his grace always precedes, always comes before your obedience. His grace comes before your sacrifice. His grace is what powers you or empowers you to ultimately follow him. So this is not legalism. This is, even though it's a resolution in your heart, do not forget that not only is God your audience, but God is your grace and your power to follow through. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this extraordinary young man who at a young age made the incredible decision to follow you in what might seem like a small detail, but through your grace, literally, literally changed the world and gave us a glorious view of your son, Jesus Christ, who we've celebrated this Christmas season. God, would you be so good that your grace would go before us, would fill our hearts and our minds, that we would resolve to follow you, even in the small details, all for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.